Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and piracy. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Lightning tore a hole in the sky above North Carolina's coast. Wind ripped over the Pacific, battering any vessel unlucky enough to be on the water the night of January 2nd, 1813, including one christened the Patriot. The double-masted schooner could hold its own against most challenges. Once used as a private warship, it still had its guns stowed below deck, just in case. Of course, the guns were useless against that night's enemy. Rain pelted the bow sideways, while waves the size of hills buffeted the stern. It was all hands on deck. That would have been tough enough for at least one of the travelers, Theodosia Burr Alston. She'd been sick for years. Still, Theodosia was eager to reach her destination. She'd fight through poor health, tropical storms, and even murderous pirates if it meant reuniting with her beloved father. But no one can fight fate. A few days later, the waters calmed. The Patriot had vanished, along with the daughter of America's most infamous revolutionary. This is Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free exclusively on Spotify. This is a special one-part episode on the disappearance of Theodosia Burr, the daughter of Aaron Burr. We'll start with her exceptional education and experiences in the burgeoning United States, From there, we'll explore the theory that she may have been killed at sea and how the clues might lie in a 200-year-old painting. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Theodosia Burr Alston was a remarkable child from the day she was born. Her father made sure of it. Many will recognize his name, Aaron Burr. He was one of the first American patriots, a vice president of the United States, and the man who killed Alexander Hamilton in a duel. But during his lifetime, Aaron Burr believed young Theodosia would be his lasting legacy. He had just finished up his tenure as a soldier in the Continental Army when Theodosia was born, on June 21, 1783. He settled down as an attorney in New York and provided an enviable life for his daughter. Their family was wealthy and well-connected. In some ways, Theodosia's future seemed all but laid out on a silver platter. Yet her parents weren't content for little Theo to live a normal life, because back in those days, the conventional opportunities for women were pretty limited. By and large, women were expected to get married and play a supportive role for their husbands, whether that meant motherhood or playing hostess. Either way, education wasn't a high priority. 
But Aaron Burr and his wife, also named Theodosia, had other ideas. Both knew the value of an education, and they were committed to nurturing young Theo's precocious intellect. Good afternoon, Theo. Your mother and I have been working on your schedule for the coming semester. Now, now, don't give us that face. If you work hard, it'll pay off one day. You could be the smartest woman in the entire state. Smartest woman in the country, if I have anything to say about it. You'll be an empress. (laughs) Oh, well, let's take it one step at a time. Fair. All right, Theo. I want to see you out here at your desk at 5 a.m. sharp from now on. I expect six hours of arithmetic per day. I thought we talked about splitting that up. You can do three hours in the morning, honey, then three more at night. Fine, fine, but don't let her rest too long. I expect letters every day while I'm on my trip. From both my darlings. Just as long as you hurry back. Always, and while I'm away, I'll have my eye out for some new books for you, Theo. Unlike other fathers of the time, Aaron Burr was heavily involved in his daughter's education and household matters in general. Soon, he and Theo developed an ironclad father-daughter bond. Theodosia's mother also tended to her daughter tirelessly, but by 1793, the 47-year-old's long-standing health problems were beginning to take a toll. Her doctor prescribed her hemlock, a natural sedative. Unfortunately, hemlock can also be extremely poisonous. And in 1794, Mrs. Burr passed away. Burr was devastated, but he was most concerned for his 10-year-old daughter. He resolved to devote himself to raising her the way he and his wife had wanted, heart and soul. To give Theodosia the very best, Aaron Burr hired a live-in tutor who'd come to the States from France. The tutor was also taking care of a young noble who'd fled the French Revolution, Natalie Delage de Valoud. She and Theodosia became best friends. As teens, the two often went out to parties, dinners, and dances together. Given Aaron Burr's social status, they also occasionally had rare opportunities. Natalie, look! Another letter from my father. What is it this time? More advice on your calligraphy? (laughs) Not quite. He says Chief Joseph Brandt is coming for a visit. Uh, is that good? Of course! He's chief of the Mohawk people and leader of the Six Nations. As Lady of the Burr household, I'm in charge of entertaining. We must prepare a feast. Oh, Theo! Can I invite the boy who's been courting me? Thomas, this is American politics, Natalie, and we're part of it. We must show respect to Chief Brandt. We need eminent guests, important people. Thomas is eminent in my heart. (laughs) You'll like him, promise. So will the chief. Fine, just keep him quiet during dinner. Hosting Chief Brandt was one of young Theodosia's proudest achievements. At the age of 14... She was mature and responsible enough to organize a formal dinner party for a dignitary. Her first foray into international relations went swimmingly. By her late teens, Theodosia was polished, well-educated, and experienced in running a political household. By the time she was old enough to marry, she was extremely eligible. 
Even more so after 1801, when Aaron Burr became Thomas Jefferson's vice president. Any suitor would have a high bar to clear. Hello. What can I do for you? Um, my name's Joseph Alston. I think we met at a party a few weeks ago. Anyway, I came to call on you, Theodosia. Me? Uh, what for? Whatever you want. It's nice out, so I thought we might take a walk. With a chaperone, of course. Ah, I see. If it pleases you. I suppose that remains to be seen, doesn't it? <laughs> I suppose so. Um, I can assure you, I'll do everything I can to make sure it's worth your time. Hmm. Before we go, tell me, what do you have to offer a lady like me? I... I'm studying law. I'm sure you're familiar with my family and our properties. <laughs> I'm loyal, I'm college-educated, and I haven't stopped thinking about you since we met at that party. You've come to my dreams at least three times. Dreams. That'll do. Joseph Alston and Theodosia were married later that year. Their future looked bright. No one could have predicted that in a matter of years, the family's fortunes would turn irrevocably. Coming up, heartache, political intrigue, and a disappearance for the history books. Now back to the story. In late 1801, Theodosia Burr Alston settled into her new home in Georgetown, South Carolina, with her husband, Joseph. They developed a loving and respectful relationship, though at times he seemed a little outmatched by her. Joseph, are you still thinking of traveling in a few months? I might. Haven't decided yet. How long will you be gone? Is my new bride going to say she misses me already? I'm just thinking about your responsibilities in the household. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. You can handle anything here after growing up with your father. It's not as if the president will visit while I'm away. We may have a more important visitor than the president. <sighs> Theo, what have you gone and done now? <laughs> Come over and put your hands here. Theodosia, are you really? Yes, I'm pregnant. In 1802, 19-year-old Theodosia gave birth to a son. His name was Aaron Burr Alston. Unfortunately, Theodosia started experiencing health problems soon after he was born. But the new mother was determined to stick it out. She'd do anything for her boy. While juggling the many challenges of motherhood, Theodosia tried to sort out her health. She traveled to a series of spas and consulted with several doctors to improve her condition. Her father grew concerned, but there was nothing else he could do. So as a distraction, he threw himself into his political career. With varying results... Burr was still vice president, but in 1804, he ran for governor of New York and lost. His old political rival, Alexander Hamilton, rubbed salt in the wound, calling him a danger to the country. 
Though Hamilton was speaking at a private dinner party, the comment leaked and was published in the paper. Burr wouldn't stand for the disrespect. He challenged Hamilton to a duel. We all know how that ended. Burr shot Hamilton in an attempt to win back his pride and revive his flagging career. Instead, he found himself charged with murder and shunned by the political establishment. The charges were eventually dropped. A few years later, he was embroiled in yet another political scandal and found himself on trial for treason. In the end, he was acquitted, but his political career was essentially over. Theodosia did what she could to support him, but her flagging health made things difficult. Even so, when her father rang, she always came running. Theodosia, dear, I have another request. Whatever you need. I need you to leak some information to the papers. Tell them I'm already out of the country and in Canada. I can hardly breathe here out of fear my enemies will overhear and come running. Shall I tell them you were with anyone? Yes, but don't be specific. Just say I was traveling with a couple of other people. All right. I need to get out of the house anyway. Alston and I haven't been invited to any events since, uh, well, never mind. I'm so sorry for the trouble this has caused you and Alston, dear. Theodosia tried to help her father, but it felt like their lives were on a downward spiral. Theodosia's health never truly recovered after the birth of her son. And she and her husband were frozen out of their social life in South Carolina, now that her father was persona non grata. It got so bad, Aaron Burr left the States on self-imposed exile to Europe. The move was tough for Theodosia to bear. Since her mother's death, she'd never spent so much time away from her father. He was more than her emotional rock. He was her trusted confidant and friend. Unfortunately, the separation only became tougher. The summer of 1812 was the worst of Theodosia's life. In June, her 10-year-old son, Aaron Jr., died of malaria. The loss was devastating. Theodosia despaired, and her health declined further. She felt adrift, and like always, she looked to her father as an anchor. Burr planned to be back in the States at the end of the year, and Theodosia was desperate to see him. She told her husband about her plans to meet her father in New York. Are you sure you can handle the travel? Uh, I'm sure your father can arrange a trip down here if you're not feeling up to it. No, I can't wait another minute to see him. Besides, this gives me something to do, something to look forward to. <sighs> I know. I just worry. I wish I could accompany you, but my post as Brigadier General makes that impossible. I can't leave the state. <coughs> you have your duty, and I have mine. All right. Here's a look at the map. It's a five- or six-day voyage from here to New York Harbor. Wouldn't taking a coach be better? I'm not so sure. It's bound to be an uncomfortable ride. More importantly, our family coachman is... Well, he drinks. And he doesn't always listen when he's drinking, particularly not to a woman. I could make him listen. If anyone could, I'm sure it would be you. But it takes twice as long to get there by coach. Very well. I'll pack my raincoat. 
Alston and Theodosia both knew going by sea was risky. British warships and pirates alike roamed the South Carolina waters. On top of that, Theodosia was scheduled to depart on New Year's Eve. Winter conditions made inclement weather more likely on the Atlantic coast. But considering Theodosia's poor health, it made sense to take a boat and shorten the trip. So on December 30th, 1812, Theodosia left her home from the Georgetown port. One of her friends, Dr. Timothy Green, went with her. Aaron Burr had insisted the good doctor come along in case Theodosia's health got any worse along the way. The following day, they set sail for New York on the Patriot. The 63-foot double-masted ship was known for being quick on the water. They'd be in New York in less than a week. Meanwhile, Aaron Burr anxiously awaited his daughter's arrival in New York. It had been four years since the two had seen each other. They had so much to talk about. The expected arrival date came and went with no sign of Theodosia or her ship. Burr and Alston kept in contact, each getting more anxious by the day. A week passed, then two. Alston frantically wrote letter after letter to his wife, hoping to catch her as soon as she arrived in New York. Here's some of what he said across his many letters. Still no letter from you. I heard rumors about a big storm off the coast a few weeks ago. Every passing second is another dagger to my heart. The state of my mind is dreadful. I'll count the hours until tomorrow. If I don't hear from you by then, I'll have to wait until the next mail. I just don't know if I can bear it. When we lost Aaron Jr., I thought I couldn't feel any worse. I thought nothing else could hurt me like that. But now, faced with losing you, I fear I'll be broken for the rest of my life. All my prayers are for you. What's left of my heart is yours. I love you so much. Alston didn't get the response he wanted. By the time a month had passed, both he and Burr assumed the worst. Yet the mystery meant that they couldn't grieve properly. No one had any idea what became of the Patriot or its passengers. The ship was relatively new, so if it did sink, bad weather or pirates seemed to be the probable cause. But there was also the slim chance that it had simply been blown off course. Or if it sank, maybe another boat came by and rescued the passengers. It was even possible that Theodosia was picked up and taken to a port in some faraway land. Burr and Alston allowed themselves to imagine these possibilities whenever they could, yet they both knew what the most likely scenarios were. With her health so uncertain, Theodosia almost certainly wouldn't have survived alone at sea. The wild rumors that circulated in the papers only made it harder to cope. Journalists and novelists spun fantasies about Theodosia engaging in lurid love affairs and falling victim to swaggering swashbucklers. Burr and Alston didn't give any credence to the rumors. In fact, Aaron Burr categorically refused to entertain the idea that Theodosia was kidnapped. He knew how smart and capable she was. If there was a chance at survival, then she would have seized it and made it back home. Still, the rumors kept swirling. In 1820... 
the first well-documented pirate theory emerged. An article in the New York Advertiser claimed that two pirates, Jean Defarge and Robert Johnson, had confessed to being involved in Theodosia's disappearance. All right, Defarge. We've had enough out of you. Look forward to your execution. Is there really no hope for clemency? Sorry. We can't spare any mercy for pirates around here. Then at least allow me to unburden myself. Go on. Hmm. In 1812, me and Johnson were sailors on a schooner, the Patriot. It was sailing from Charleston to New York. There was a woman on board, a rich woman, Theodosia Burr. The vice president's daughter? Yes. Johnson and I got to talking about all the fancy things packed in her trunks. We were hungry. We were poor. Ugh, what am I saying? We were criminals. I regret it to this day. What did you two do? The first few days were normal, with clear weather and smooth sailing. We waited until dark. We snuck up on the crew, overpowered them, and tied them up below deck. We did the same for the passengers. Then we threw every valuable we could find in a lifeboat and sailed away. What happened to the schooner? We blew a hole in it before we left. There's no way they could have escaped. We killed all those people. We killed Theodosia Burr. The tale made the papers and captivated the nation all over again. Defarge and Johnson's story did have an air of credibility to it. After all, the two didn't have much to gain by confessing to the crimes. They had already been captured by the U.S. government and were set to be executed. The idea that two pirates wanted to atone for their crimes through confession seems plausible. But there were a couple of inconsistencies in the story that merit further inspection. First and most obvious, the Patriot didn't leave from Charleston like Defarge and Johnson claimed. It sailed from Georgetown, South Carolina. It could be a simple case of the pirates misremembering, but during this time period, a lot of phony gossip in the newspaper about Theodosia made the same very specific mistake. It's possible that the pirates read the rumors in the paper and fabricated their story from there. The second inconsistency seemed harder to square. The way Defarge and Johnson told it, the Patriot experienced fair weather during the first couple of days on the voyage. But that's probably not true. Logbooks from warships patrolling the waters of South Carolina recorded a ferocious storm on January 2nd, 1813. That's just two days after Theodosia set sail. Again, it's possible the pirates forgot about the bad weather. It had been years, and they could have been telling the truth about Theodosia's ultimate fate, that they sank her boat and left her to drown in the middle of the ocean. Regardless, Defarge and Johnson were convicted for their crimes aboard a U.S. warship and put to death. But that didn't end the story. After the pirate confessions, theories continued to swirl about Theodosia Burr and some evidence suggests a totally different explanation for her legendary disappearance. A 
Coming up, a perfect storm. And now, back to our story. In 1820, Jean Defarge and Robert Johnson confessed to sinking the Patriot while Theodosia Burr was on board, killing the daughter of a founding father. But there's limited evidence to back up their claims. Even Theodosia's family questioned it. I hesitate to ask, but have you seen the latest stories in the paper, Mr. Burr? About what? Theodosia. Apparently some pirates claim they know what happened to the ship. Rubbish. But isn't it possible? No, no, no. She perished in that miserable little boat. That's all, Alston. I know you're probably right, but- There is no but. You knew Theodosia. She was a genius. Were she alive, all the pirates in the world could not keep her from us. Aaron Burr believed a force greater than pirates stopped his daughter, and meteorological records back him up. On January 2nd, 1813, a massive storm rocked the waters off North Carolina. Archaeologist and researcher James Mitchie found records stating that the winds were strong enough to tear chain plate bolts from the hull. Mitchie also plotted the Patriot's course. He found the ship was likely right off the coast of North Carolina during the worst part of the storm. It would have been battered for hours on end by the waves. If it somehow survived the beating, it still had to contend with fierce winds afterward, which reached almost hurricane force. That's the core of the simplest explanation for Theodosia's death. A storm ravaged the Patriot, burying the ship, its passengers, and all other evidence beneath the shifting waves forever. Aaron Burr believed it for the remainder of his days. And he and Theodosia's husband, Joseph Alston, remained stoic, publicly at least. In those days, it was bad form for politicians to show their emotions. That meant the men weren't just living without Theodosia. They were kept from expressing their grief to anyone else, too. Burr, what are you doing? Just packing up. These were all Theodosias. Where are you taking them? Away. To storage. I can't look at them anymore. I remember when she made you these. She sat up all night by the fire, as if knitting socks was the most fun she'd ever had. I remember. She used to treasure her copy of this book as well. I got it for her on your recommendation, you know. I remember that too. I remember it all. And that's the problem. Like Aaron Burr, Theodosia's widower, Joseph Alston, spent the remainder of his life in grief. He served as South Carolina's governor for several years after her disappearance. When his term was over he retreated from public life. Friends and loved ones tried to rekindle his passion for politics, but it was no use. He'd lost his child and his wife in a matter of years. He was a broken man. In 1816, he passed away at the young age of 37. The news was devastating to his father-in-law, who wasn't faring much better by that point. Aaron Burr spent his final years practicing law in New York, The spark in his eyes was long gone, 
and the fallout of his political scandals meant he could no longer claim his place among the higher class. He didn't show his face often. He was nearly unrecognizable by the end of his life. In 1836, he passed away in the care of a friend. Neither of them ever knew for sure what happened to Theodosia. Years passed with nothing but occasional incomplete theories and salacious rumors. Theodosia faded into history, a footnote in the stories of her famous father. Until decades later, when a bombshell discovery came out of nowhere. In 1869, a country doctor came into the possession of an unusual portrait. He claimed it was the key to solving the mystery of Theodosia's disappearance once and for all. Stunning, isn't it? Three-quarters view, dark curly hair, probably painted in the early 19th century. Nice texture on the dress. It's more than nice. Look closer. If you're a student of history, you may recognize the face. Hmm. I can't say I do. When did you purchase the painting? Oh, it was a gift. In 1869, I made a house call to a woman who lived near the outer banks of North Carolina, near Nags Head. I'm not sure how old she was, but she looked to be about 70. When I walked in, I noticed the portrait immediately. Her home was crude, with a thatched roof and walls constructed from driftwood. Yet here was a beautiful portrait of a young woman hanging on the wall. Unlike anything else in the house. (laughs) The woman claimed that her husband and several others found the portrait in a pilot boat that ran aground on the beach in Nags Head after a storm back in 1813. Surely, you must know who it is by now. A wealthy woman, judging by her clothing. How about a hint? She's the daughter of one of the most infamous men in American history. Benedict Arnold? Her father killed Hamilton. Oh, Theodosia Burr? Precisely. That's why it needs authentication. It's unsigned. (laughs) We can certainly help with that. Uh, Did the old woman remember the name of the boat? She couldn't, but she said there was no one on board by the time the wreckers got there. A table in the cabin was still set for breakfast. Imagine that. (laughs) Imagine that. The Nags Head painting, as it came to be called, caused a stir. Dr. Poole and others were absolutely convinced it was a portrait of Theodosia. They posited that her ship, the Patriot, ran aground on the coast and was scavenged by the so-called wreckers. These people lived on the barrier islands off the coast of North Carolina and made their living salvaging shipwrecks. If the Patriot followed its expected course and was damaged by the storm on January 2nd, there's a good chance the wreckage washed up on Nags Head Island in the Outer Banks. And if it did, wreckers would have picked the site clean. At least, that's what Poole thought. To prove his theory, he sent photographs of the portrait to as many members of her surviving family as he could. Several family members agreed the portrait had Theodosia's likeness, though it was hard for anyone to say for sure. And unfortunately, just as many disagreed. 
By the time Dr. Poole embarked on his authentication campaign, almost no one alive had actually ever seen Theodosia for themselves. His best chance was Joseph Alston's younger sister, Mary Pringle. She was nine when her sister-in-law vanished. Clearly, she wasn't an ideal source, but she had actually seen Theodosia in person. Unfortunately, she was 75 by the time she examined the painting, and her memory wasn't the best. She claimed she could still remember Theodosia's piercing eyes and said that the woman in the portrait also had beautiful eyes. It wasn't exactly a confirmation, but not a dismissal either. Mary couldn't be positive either way. And that's pretty much the state of the Nags Head portrait theory today. While it hasn't been officially authenticated, it's never been seriously disputed either. The doctor's story about where and how he got the painting appears to be true. He never tried to sell the piece, which is now in a museum. And in over 100 years, no one has argued that the woman in the portrait is anyone other than Theodosia Burr Alston. There's no record of what she actually brought aboard the Patriot, so we can't be sure. Though since she was visiting her father in 1813, after four long years of separation, it would make sense for her to bring along a portrait of herself as a gift. However, there are no identifying marks or signatures on the picture. The name of the artist and the subject are missing, which complicates matters. And while the story about the origins of the portrait makes some sense, there's no hard evidence that it really came from a shipwreck in 1813. Even if it was scavenged from a shipwreck in the right place at the right time, it seems hard to believe that nobody recognized the ship. Theodosia's disappearance was national news. In the weeks and months that followed, you'd think one of the wreckers would make the connection and realize they were sitting on a potential gold mine. So for now, the jury's still out on the painting. But if the portrait really is authentic... The most obvious question still remains. What happened to Theodosia? If the Wrecker stories are true, then the Patriot ran aground at the coast soon after the storm on January 2nd, 1813. And the group found the boat in decent condition. No one was on board, and there was no blood or signs of a struggle anywhere. That brings us back to square one. If the ship wasn't in bad condition, it's hard to imagine where all the crew went. Perhaps they ran aground and went looking for help on foot. But with Theodosia's health problems, it's unlikely she would have gone with them. Surely at least one person would have stayed behind with her. Maybe someone came by and rescued the passengers before the wreckers picked the vessel clean. Or it's possible there were signs of a struggle or mutiny that simply went unnoticed. Still, doesn't explain why none of the other passengers or crew ever reemerged to tell their story. So, that's the state of the mystery today. Most likely, the Patriot ran into dangerous weather conditions soon after departing. Gale force winds may have sunk the ship and everyone on it. But while the storm is documented, the fate of the ship is total speculation. It's also possible that the two pirates, Defarge and Johnson, were telling the truth when they confessed to scuttling the ship back in 1820. By their account, they sank the Patriot with Theodosia on it, killing her and the rest of the passengers. 
Finally, there's the nag's head portrait. If it's authentic, that seems to indicate the ship survived the storm. As for the passengers, they could have gone anywhere. Though given the tight bond between Theodosia and her father, it's unlikely she wouldn't have contacted him if she survived. The truth is anyone's guess, but there's still hope the mystery could be solved in the future. Richard Cote, author of Theodosia Burr Alston, Portrait of a Prodigy, suggested testing the portrait for sea salt or analyzing the composition to narrow down the potential artist. At present, there aren't any official plans for that kind of analysis. But if either of those approaches bear fruit in the future, we may be one step closer to authenticating the portrait or discounting it for certain. And with the mystery out of the way, Theodosia will finally be remembered not for her death, but for her life. A woman ahead of her time. She was a strong, intelligent, and singular figure. She pushed the bounds of society's expectations and never balked in the face of tragedy or injustice. She was a young woman who made her father proud. Thanks again for tuning into Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on Theodosia Burr, amongst the many sources we used, we found Richard Cote's book, Theodosia Burr Alston, Portrait of a Prodigy, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, Freddie Rivera, and Carly Madden. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Terrell Wells, edited by Giles Hofseth, fact-checked by Cheyenne Lopez, researched by Mickey Taylor, and produced by Travis Clark. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Kai Jordan, Rebecca Thomas, Zelda Diana Black, Nazee Tarsha, Brian Green, and Dinesh Alvis. Unsolved Murder stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. 